0: coming cool.
1: And tonight, we're going to have on one of the original gangsters of UFO documentary filmmaking. But before we get to that, we got to talk to the co-creator of this joint. Looking good. Beard looks good. Glasses looks good. Hair looks good. Put it together for money. Nathan, everything comes out. His mouth is money. He could even finance James' next movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: man that's incredible thank you hey it's so good to be here i have been looking forward to this interview for so long uh we've watched the film we're telling everybody about it i can't wait to get into the discussion it's just great to have everybody here and uh we're we're gonna we're gonna have a good time tonight
1: Uh, we're gonna have a good time with this gentleman but you know what we have uh, this lovely young lady in here she is our researcher she's the one that's bringing it strong bringing it real keeping us grounded not letting the head get away from us put your hands together for deb a study of uaps the host of deb's data dojo
3: hey everyone happy to be here happy to talk about the movie happy to talk to james
1: yes ah uh. Man, she's like, she's like, oh, man, she's making fingerprints in her table right now. I'm about to talk to
2: James. In the, in the zone. Something. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: All right. Uh, Nathan, you know, you're well aware that, uh, that I had a sighting uh, back in the day. Um, I, I had, you know, my own UFO sighting outside of Peekskill, New York, in the Hudson Valley. Out of the blue, I had this sighting. And while friends and family were very skeptical, I knew what I saw. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was, in fact, the phenomenon. It was, in fact, the moment of contact. So without any further ado, bring in the brother, the filmmaker, who's a researcher, who's getting it done for the community. Party people, put your hands together for James C. Fox.
2: Get amen, out amen. amen!
0: Amen! We got to do that intro one more time, but this time a little more pizzazz, a little. Just more a little- <laughs> <laughs> can you can you pick up the pimp
1: tempo just a little bit for a little need energy man i need some energy yeah, I, I, got, I was like uh, kind of you know uh, <laughs> yeah no, know. no can't sleep
2: on this one that's for sure i'm
0: kidding that was beautiful
1: <laughs> thank you thank you brother james in the chat i just want to say we have jewels of the wood she is the jewel of uh of indiana by way of alabama so uh be nice to julie in the chat show some love and uh, we will try to get your questions in with the brother, James C. Fox. <laughs> James! <laughs> so, you know, obviously, when you look at me, you're going to realize that my first question is uh, is going to be about hair. And so I'm wondering if when you went to Brazil, do you feel like you were more well-received as a result of having a head of hair that has been haunting me uh, since I saw the phenomenon, this, this wonderful head of hair, do you think that helped you to get people to open up? Or do you think a bald guy like me could have gone down there and done
0: just as well as you? Well, you know, it's funny actually, because when we were editing the phenomenon, I had this guy that I was working with and he, he goes, this is a, like a 2013 clip. And he goes, Oh, who's that guy? I was like, uh, that was me. He goes, that was you? <laughs> I was like, yeah. He goes, Oh, uh, i was like yeah i know i had a full head of of brown hair back then <laughs> and since then i've become a dad and i pushed the phenomenon across the finishing line and so you know such is life but uh, to answer your question no i think you would have been just as effective if not more i i uh, you know what i i this early episode i don't want to do disagree
1: with the guest but i don't think i could have gotten people to open up with it without the head of hair yet but that's okay we can agree to disagree on this one brother james it's all good all right (laughs) all right let me go to my first real question uh that isn't the one where, you know, I was going to ask if you and Jer- uh, what, what's his name again? Jeremy, guys, uh, the the great uh, filmmaker, colleague of James Fox. Corbell. Jeremy Corbell. Yeah. Do yeah. you guys have like a secret UFO documentarian, you know, handshake? <laughs> like when you see him, it's like,
0: yo, what's up, bro? Like, is there a secret handshake? You know, I've actually only met him a couple of times. I think I met him uh, at a conference back in 2013, I think he was talking about when he was putting this whole thing together. I think he started to put this whole thing together with, um, uh, with George Knapp and, and Lazar. And then I met him again, I think right after his film came out, maybe it was 2017, 2018 at another. And actually, you know, in actuality, it was 20, I think it was right before the pandemic hit. So it might've been 2019. And, um, I hung out with him and, and, uh, and uh george knapp and a handful of other researchers and we had a good time we went back to george knapp's hotel room we watched some uh some early clips prior to the release of the phenomenon in george knapp's room and had a great time
1: i i tell you guys i'll tell you what man you guys are like some skull and bones members right there you and you and corbell that, that that's 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 the the place you hold in our hearts for sure um james are you a documentary filmmaker who researches UFOs or are you a researcher, a UFO researcher who makes documentary films?
0: Well, probably both because I've done other film projects. Uh, I did a film called pretty slick on the BP oil spill 2010. Um, I did another film uh, PBS American heroes on a, a World War II pilot and a, and a conservationist by the, uh, by the name of Martin Litton, that was called The Good Fight. I've done PSAs, things of that nature, but but more probably, you know, 95% re UFO researcher um, and filmmaker. I mean, I, I explain to people like, I'm on this journey where I'm just, I'm so curious and I really wanna know what is going on, right? And I just happen to bring camera gear along this journey, and I document my travels and my uh, my meetings uh, globally, and I make films about it. And um, so I share my research with the general public through my movies.
1: I want to say that the thing that it's – I had my answer to this question. I think you're definitely a researcher because your passion was so evident in what you were doing that you were willing to get your literal hands and feet dirty to do this, and, um, and it came through as, as very authentic. So I want to compliment you on that, and I want to turn you over to the very capable hands. Of the man we call money nathan
2: <laughs> thanks dj yeah so uh this film was incredibly compelling to me just hearing all the different testimony uh from folks who were in different walks of life but uh, to kind of dovetail on what you just said what comes out for me in this film is your passion and soul for this project and it was great to see that i think the phenomena was a was also a fantastic film But to see your passion walking the streets, talking to people, uh, pursuing this story, it it was just very, very rewarding. And what I wanted to ask you about, you know, what does it feel like to be in a position where you're giving voice to so many people who felt like they've been ignored for such a long time? And, And what will it feel like for you if the day comes, and we all hope that it will, where we get even greater government acknowledgement of incidents like this one in brazil and elsewhere what will that feel like for you if that day does come
0: i never thought that 2017 the revelation of atip on the front page of the new york times coupled with you know official evidence taken from the cockpit of of navy jets i honestly didn't i mean i wanted it to but i didn't think that was going to happen in my lifetime i was kind of convinced i talked to stanton friedman and other you know older researchers that had spent a lifetime, way longer than I have, and never got that chance. Um, I think about Dr. John Mack. I think about, you know, uh, Stanton Friedman. I think about Kehoe. I think about, you know, all these guys that came before us. And um, so I feel tremendously fortunate to to, to, to have gotten to experience that and that level of confirmation in an official capacity. Now, keep in mind to your audience, that didn't just happen. It wasn't like suddenly the intelligence communities had this epiphany and felt that, Hey, we want the general public to be enlightened and know more about this phenomenon. It was people that on the inside that decided we're going to find a loophole and sneak this evidence out and put it on the front page of the New York Times almost forced their hand. Right. And you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And so I'm cautiously optimistic that, uh, you know, um, There's more fascinating stuff to come. And did I ever think that I was going to make a documentary on an alleged UFO crash and live beings walking through the town of Virginia? If you'd have told me that 10 years ago, Jesus, like 15 years ago, that it would be not met with a high level of of, of criticism, Mm. I, I wouldn't have believed it, you know? And so we're pushing the envelope a little bit. I understand that I'm putting my credibility a little on the line. I myself had trouble believing the story when I first heard about it in the late 90s. In fact, I didn't believe the story when I heard about it in the late 90s. And then I heard about it again in 2010 or 2011 when I was going to Brazil to give a little presentation on a film I did. I know what I saw. Mm -hmm. And I love your intro, by the way. You're like you're like yeah the phenomenon and i know what i saw <laughs> and then you know through that moment of contact, <laughs> <laughs> out of a lot yeah. of money for this it man, just out of the
3: blue
2: poetry poetry emotion <laughs> well you that. you make a great point that uh that in in some ways like we have to sort of get through certain phases and and your films have have gone through a journey much like what we're seeing play out in the public conversation you can't you couldn't have a film like this today Uh, doing it a few years ago. So, I mean, what does that say to you about where the public at large really is with respect to this conversation, the level of curiosity, the uh, reduction of the snicker factor? Obviously, it's still happening a little bit, but I feel like it's happening a lot less. And I don't know if that's been your experience. Oh, it's definitely
0: happened a lot less. I mean, my God, I used to get laughed at all the time. I got laughed at for decades, Mm. you know? In fact, I tell this funny story. I used to live on a, I lived on a houseboat um, in uh, northern north of San Francisco is a little town called Sausalito on the water. And there's a bunch of houseboats out on the docks. And I used to live out on the dock. And everybody on the dock kind of knows each other because, you know, you got to pass each other on the dock. But there was this guy who was like a Wall Street guy <clears throat> in San Francisco, financial guy, always suit and tie. He lived a couple houses down and, and uh, he would always call me UFO boy. Hey UFO boy, you know, really kind of condescending. I was like, whatever, you know, just let it, I just let it like a, a a water off the duck, a duck's back. And then one time he he stops me on this is in the 90s. He stops me on the on the deck, on the dock. We walk out this long dock to get to our houseboats, and he goes, Hey, UFO boy. He goes, You don't actually believe in any of this shit, do you? And I said <laughs> I was like, no, no, God, of course not. I, 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 I just do it for the money, which of course totally penniless, right? He's like, oh, good, 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 oh, good. You know, he kind of turns around and, and off he goes.
2: <laughs> Incredible.
1: Were, yeah. were you like Don Johnson? Like, were you wearing like pastels? Like on Miami should had the the mm-hmm. alligator like guarding sort of the boat.
0: I should have been. We had a little zodiac. We had a private dock. It was pretty cool. <laughs> nice.
2: That's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm going to pass it off to Deb. Of the, I wanna I she's got a question for you.
0: You guys, check it out. I'm not going to answer, but Jaime Mosala is calling me right now from Mexico City. Yo, that what's guy. up,
2: cool. Jaime, man? Yeah. What's up,
3: Holmes? Bring him on.
2: Send him the voicemail.
3: Very cool. <laughs> I would love to chat with him, too. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to um, say, you know, you mentioned these people that were, you know, the giants before us. Who I also have great respect for them. One of them was Dr. Roger Lear. And you have footage um, in your documentary that has finally come to light, thankfully, because of the work that you've done. Um, but but my question is, having done all of this work, what were the ramifications for the witnesses and the people that you spoke to? Um, has it been smooth sailing for them since the documentary has come out? Um, or has it had a ripple effect in Brazil? Do you know? Um, if if there's been an impact because of your documentary
0: definitely there has been an impact and that impact is just starting to be felt there was a guy named victor pacchini he was one of the leading ufo researchers he was the one that found originally in 1996 military acts who's uh, he'll have to remain nameless right now um and, and a slew of others um he Vanished. I want to say it was 2002 or 2004. He just completely nobody knew where he was. Couldn't get a hold of him. Uh, Claudio Kovo, the other researcher, died, and then we had another guy named uh, Uberdejado Uber Rodriguez, and he did a complete 180 and started contradicting all the statements and even the uh, all the stuff he put in his own book. So clearly something was up, uh, Victor. Uh, pacchini. Hector Hector. I'm sorry, it's pacaccini. I've always referred to him as pacaccini.
1: Are you sure that's not an appetizer at an Italian yes, restaurant? That you like could it, be confusing it? it with like a beef like tips a, or a, a little side dish, yes. yeah.
0: I know, I know it's uh, but he he uh resurfaced a couple of nights ago. Um, I know that he's had access to high level uh Brazilian military witnesses because he. I don't want to go too far on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he did something that would ensure uh, the security of a lot of the Brazilian res- um, uh, witnesses by documenting their accounts that was never to be released unless something happened to them or their families. So Pacaccini had direct access to some of these high level Brazilian uh, witnesses, military witnesses. And he has since uh, just a couple of nights ago, come back on the scene and is speaking rather candidly about aspects of the case that we were uh, had suspected were true, but were, were untrue. And there's more details coming out in, in the next uh, uh, probably 48 to 72 hours.
1: Regarding uh, Military X, do you know if he retired from the military or did they still have their... Because if he, if he got out versus retired, then his retirement is on the line. Should he step, no pun intended, should he step out of line? um his retirement could be vulnerable. I think that's uh, whereas...
0: the least I think that's the least of his concerns. Okay. Okay, yeah.
1: interesting. Okay, so more serious than that. Oh interesting. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. W- what do you attribute that to? Do you think that that is pressure from abroad or do you think that's pressure from within from within their sovereignty?
0: Well, I initially thought that it was just pressure within their sovereignty. Um I had the distinct advantage okay of having met with a guy, Brigadier, I want to say Brigadier General, but it's Brigadier Air Force official by the name of Jose Carlos Pereira. I've got photographs of my meeting with him in 2013. He was a really top-notch Air Force uh, official in the Brazilian Air Force. And he agreed to an interview regarding the UFO phenomenon in the country of Brazil. He was talking about Ubatuba, Calaris in the 70s, UFOs over Sao Paulo in 86 and some other more recent cases. He said, if you talk, if you ask me about Virginia, this interview is terminated and I'll be leaving, Uh, you know? And he, at the end of the interview, I came up to him with my partner at the time, Leo, uh, uh, Marco Leal. And we said, um, sir, we we promise you there are no recording devices or no cameras rolling here. Could you please, please, you know, tell us like what happened we're begging and plead with him. He's kind of going back to his, uh, dr- he had a driver waiting for him and he was walking back to that car and he said something uh, initially in Portuguese to Marco Leal. And I, I don't know how the exact interpretation, but it's something about if you want to stay alive, sometimes it's good to keep your mouth shut. And then when he got to the car, I kept begging him, please, please, just please just between us. He got in the car. He sat down. He let the door open. He looked at up, looked up at us, and he said, "It happened." And he closed the door, and off they went. So back in 2013, we had a pretty solid uh, confirmation uh, that I was very comfortable with that this case was real. And um, you know, I'd always believed the girls, the the because the, the girls. I mean, the three girls in broad daylight came within eight to ten feet of this being. I just God, I believe those girls, but I didn't have the connection. I didn't have other aspects of the story. Like, you know, the coverup, the, the military's involvement, the UFO, the guy that witnessed Carlos de Sousa, who witnessed the UFO crash, he was gone. Like there were so many people to track down and it took a long time, long time. I mean, I was at least 11 years with my involvement <clears throat> and four trips to Brazil a month each time. And my partner, Marco Leal, he was 15, 16, 17, 18 years. The culmination of all this research, along with other fellow younger Brazilian UFO researchers that that uh, that led to the the birth of this film. Just to
1: add to before I pass it to money, Nathan Viajante, who might be from Brazil, said this case only exists because uh, the Varginha case only exists uh, thanks to Pacacini. So that's just wanted to throw that in there. since you No question. It. No
0: question. He made a significant contribution. Yes, sir. Extremely significant.
2: Hmm. Well, we, uh, we're talking a lot about, and I've heard you mention this on some recent interviews, too, the uh, timing. Timing is interesting. And uh, not only have you heard from what I've heard you say recently, that the timing of this film is quite coincidental, or uh, at least it may, it may end up being quite coincidental. But I have, the, I have a feeling that there are a lot of folks that are watching what is happening with the rollout of this film, and, and watching the reception, watching uh, how the witnesses are being treated, because, and you probably know this just through the people you've encountered, that there are folks who have similar experiences, uh, who have had uh, been undergone a similar level of stress, if not more so, and they're now in a position, at least in our country, where they might be able to come forward and share what they know. But there, there's the ridicule factor, there's the, uh, you know, professional uh, impact to, to their livelihood. So they're looking at this and going, okay, how is this going? And, and will it allow me to, to do what I need to do or feel compelled to do in the wake of a story like this? Are you getting the sense that this may very well be kind of paving the way for other, other incidents, other witnesses in, 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 to come forward? It is my hope. And what, uh,
0: absolutely, you know, and we had contemplated hanging on a little longer before we released the film because there were some other rumblings of witnesses coming forward as well as physical evidence. And I made a decision, a calculated decision. You know, it's less about my film and more about other witnesses and and, and and further investigations and encouraging more people to come forward and join this movement. And so I thought, I think it would be better for the whole community to put the film out and, and benefit from raising the level of awareness about this incident and encouraging other witnesses, both American and Brazilian to come forward. And I think that's happening. In fact, it's already started to happen. And I'm uh, I'm very confident. And look, th- we're just now t- trying to get into negotiations with a platform that will put this film in every house uh, in in the in the country of Brazil. I mean, we're weeks away, hopefully, from from solidifying that. That's my my sole objective right now mm. um, is to, to try to try and do that. I yeah. So we, you know we have Netflix. We can deal with Netflix. is great. The problem with Netflix is they want exclusivity. They don't want to share it with anybody else. Uh, So they're either going to have to come step up to the plate right away, or we're going to go with other, we're we're going to get this film across Brazil. Let's put it that way.
2: Fantastic. Well, let me ask a follow-up. Have you gotten the sense that uh, within Brazil, that there are elements, just like we've heard rumors of in the United States elements of sort of rapid response teams to these kinds of incidents that there may be uh, sort of, uh, you know, specialists or subspecialists within the, mil- the Brazilian military who who deal with incidents like this or have dealt with incidents like this. Do you, do you think that that's the case or is it just, oh, this happened and we just mobilized the nearest unit and they, they showed up and just kind of did what we told them to do? But see, somebody called the shots on that, right? Well, we got pretty
0: good information, intel, from a Brazilian researcher who had inside connections, but wasn't able to reveal the exact name of that point of contact. Hmm. That was that the United States contacted the Brazilian authorities, uh, letting them know that there was an unidentified object or several unidentified objects in the region uh, of, of Virginia, or the state of Minas Gerais. And, um, and we felt it was, it was, it was strong enough where the American, so the Americans notified the Brazilians mm-hmm. and then the Brazilians wow. responded accordingly. I mean, the, 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 witness that saw it hit the ground, Carlos de Souza, he said the military was on the scene within five minutes.
1: What? Incredible.
2: Yeah. yeah it's incredible. Yeah. So they, wow. th- they were already moving in that direction. Like, absolutely. Yeah.
1: They had our radar more than likely. Oh yeah. yeah. i probably, they, probably they saw the trajectory and yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah.
0: And By they, the way, when they arrived when the military arrived. They weren't there to jazzercise,
1: right? <laughs> and it's a shame because you know it's great exercise. Yeah, it it's really a great exercise, right? Yeah. It's those abs, like you uh-huh. know. <laughs>
0: it's the, the Brazilian
1: here said something via Jean. Let me see if I can find his comment again. Viajante, where is it? He said uh, something like "tem mais uh, a BRS por aqui," which would be like uh, have more. I don't know what BRS is an abbreviation uh, around here is what that would mean. So I don't know if he means witnesses Viajante Here it is. Tim, it's it's right here. I don't. So he or she is saying Tim, I don't know what BRS. If you could spell that out for me via gente, BRS, but it means have more or uh, here, more of this around. And I, he may mean witness. He, she may more, mean witnesses. I don't know what yeah. BRS is. The only word. I don't know what that is. Me too. So Viajante,
0: spell it out. We Americans, brother or sister. Let's be our you know. My I know sister. some poor. Yeah. Is, d- do they have? Have, right. Yep. Yeah, I know spirit. that much Portuguese. So. Yeah. All Me right. un, un de vinto tinto, por favor. Oh, you want some red wine?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think he's saying it stands for Brazilian. Yeah, so.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> go for it, Debs.
3: okay so more
1: oh more brazilians okay
3: okay sorry so i'm actually really excited about talking about the americans coming on the scene first of all because i've gotten information that the military air traffic controller in brazil has come forward recently talking about being a part of this case so yes people are coming forward but um, there's an actual lot of history about Americans showing up to pick up objects. And I know you've mentioned crash retrievals. Um, and one of the people who has helped you in the past, Kevin Randall, actually wrote a book about that program that did those crash retrievals called Moon Dust. And I was wondering if you're on that path, if you're chasing that down at all about Project Moon Dust coming to pick up crashes, American soldiers coming to pick up crashes in other countries
0: i quite honestly barely believed in ufo crashes i mean i was pretty convinced about roswell you know i didn't believe this case i'm open to learning more about aztec and a handful of others but quite on and and the one in um in russia uh in the forest what was that Tunguska or something, you know? So to answer your question, I don't think for right now, I'm going to set my sights on further uh, alleged crash, UFO crashes. I think what I'm going to focus in on is where's the evidence, the, the physical evidence that we now know pretty confidently exists and who has the authority to release it. So basically going on the assumption, look, the phenomenon's real. We know you're hiding, you know, the the holy grail of evidence, you know, enough of these like blurry videos coming out from Navy jets. We want the bodies. We want the debris. We want the (laughs) evidence, you know, and I might be chasing uh, rainbows here with the idea that I could actually get some traction, but I'm going to go for it anyway.
1: Uh, You're taking me to one of my later questions, uh, uh, James, but, but I'll ask it now. We got to get to a question from Red Panda Koala. He is a future guest, and he's also an amazing content creator himself. He has a question that Julie has for you. But since you've uh, since you've gone down that road, what do you think is the appropriate level of disclosure, and why? And what do you think the ramifications of that level of disclosure might be?
0: God, you guys, I'm I'm just not an expert in knowing about this stuff. I mean, what I have done. Uh, at pretty high level government officials from all around the globe, um, I've done it in Russia and China and South America and um, in the United States, is I could never wrap my mind around why would anyone want to cover up what could be the biggest revelation uh, of our time, that we're not alone in the universe, that we're part of a much larger Cosmos of 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 life. And it seems so exciting and what a wonderful unifying effect it would have on humanity and the human race and all this stuff. But then, like, this military guy looks at me and he was like, Look, man, I don't know what planet you're 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 wandering around on, but we don't look at it that way. We look at it like we got a problem. We have objects of unknown origin whizzing around with impunity in our airspace that fly rings around our fastest jets. Shall they turn out to be hostile? We have no visible you know, means of defense against them. We have no idea who they are, where they come from, or what they want. How on earth do we disclose that to the general public? It's a problem. And you can't reveal what you know without revealing all the things that you don't know. And that was the first time I honestly was like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's why hey i
1: never thought of it that way you know right because we apply our own sensibilities it's the human thing to do everybody must be like me everybody (laughs) has to see it the way i see it and the fact that someone sees this differently is kind of ridiculous and then you go oh wait a minute we had this discussion yesterday with nathan i thought i was going to convince him of something and in fact he convinced me that he was correct So, (laughs) so, you know, you just have to be open to that, that your assumptions and your even conclusions could be incorrect. And although I have beat the hell out of the U.S. government uh, on past shows for things that that have been obfuscated, I now kind of understand looking at the climate that they're operating in, why they might have done that, even if I don't like it or agree with it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it, but I could understand it, perhaps.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. right there with you. I still so. feel like as scary as it might be or is or whatever. Um we're all entitled to it. It's part of uh the bigger picture and and uh we we should we should know. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: It's it's very uh, it's very difficult to divorce ourselves from what we want because you guys, I don't have to have a Eighty thousand foot view of it. I only have to need to have my view of it, and yeah. those of my colleagues and friends.
0: You guys think that like maybe we're someone's petri dish?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. no, you, you got to need to listen to Nathan's show, Liminal Frames, <laughs> with Academia because they dive all into that stuff. Who's next, Nathan? Is it you?
2: No, I think it's Deb. She is Deb. A, Deb
1: go for it, buddy.
3: She... Oh no, no, it's Nathan's turn. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is. I don't want. Right. I don't want you to lose your turn, me. Go ahead.
2: I appreciate that. All right, so James, I want to get uh, I want to get a little reflective here on this one. So, uh, one thing that surprised me about this incident, and and granted, I, I wasn't as familiar with it. I know a lot of other folks who've been in ufology haven't necessarily been incredibly familiar with it. But so far, I've really not heard a lot of the uh, what I would typically expect to see. Like the skeptical narratives emerge about this incident, uh, you know. So I, you've been living and breathing that this one for a very long time, as you mentioned. I mean, what's the skeptic's response to to what what happened in Brazil? Because it doesn't seem very everything that you've presented in in the in the documentary. Like, doesn't it's super convincing to me? But what what's the alternative story here? They were just kind of having some sort of weird military exercise, and they captured a you know a, a strange creature that got loose from the Amazon rainforest or something like what, what happened there? I mean, it doesn't make sense.
0: Well, you'll see at the end of the film. Um, I mean, the outlandish nature of the story itself is its own best, you know, right. Way of, of keeping it for the general public. I mean, you tell someone, I mean, I got a guy who lives up the street from me who's totally a big fan of my work and loves the phenomenon loves out of the blue Loved I know what I saw. And he goes, James, I I hate to say this, I feel really bad not having your back on this one, but you've gone a little far for me, buddy. I'm sorry, but I I just, you lost me Mm. and I'm a little worried about you. I said, Jamie, I completely respect your opinion on that. And I completely understand why you feel the way you do. All I ask is that if you can just like hit the pause button, come listen to the eyewitness testimony firsthand, and then draw your own conclusions because- you know you, you just you know you you could tap the shoulder of anyone walking on man on the street and say hey what do you think of this ufo that crashed and these live aliens survived and they're walking through the town and you just sound like a nut job <laughs> you know and i heard about it and i've said this a couple times already i heard about it in the 90s when i was making a documentary on ufos mm-hmm. working on it out of the blue and my partner this guy tim coleman coincidentally he got a he got a a credit in the movie, even though he had nothing to do with it because he was the one that turned me on to it back in 1998 or 99. And uh, I dismissed it. I tell people, it was like, watch, ready for it? Wait for it. And then it's gone. Yeah, that fast. Mm. And he was really annoyed with me, you know? And, and, um, but I didn't give it another thought. Not another thought for at least 10 or 11 years. Mm. Not nothing. Then I heard about it again. I just thought, it's impossible there's no way this happened and everybody not know about it. So I totally get why, you know, I've had reviews and I try not to read them and I can tell whether the person has seen the movie or not. If they're completely dismissive and just say another Fox fantasy, they clearly haven't watched the movie. Mm -hmm. I've had other ones that say as outlandish and crazy as this might come across, The way I was feeling when I turned, you know, I was compelled to listen to further eyewitnesses. I, I must, something happened there. Can't say exactly what, but you know, Mm -hmm. you can't just dismiss all those witnesses because no one person has the entire piece, piece, all the pieces of the puzzle, right? The picture. But if you start putting all the pieces together, it paints a pretty compelling picture that something crashed and that there were live beings, entities, whatever the hell you want to call them, wandering around in the
2: town in broad daylight,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and were captured.
2: Pretty crazy, it is. Well, and you have so many witnesses again from all walks of life. Uh, they're not sitting around a coffee table and getting their stories straight with each other. Uh, so it, it, that that to me is is quite convincing. Um, everybody took it took so long
0: to convince those witnesses to come forward 85 percent of them we chased down for over seven years and mm-hmm. 10 years 15 years 20 years no joke and they were all you know oh i'll do it i won't do it or i'll never do it or maybe i'll do it you know five years later oh maybe after i retire maybe up maybe kept mm-hmm. going kept going kept going kept going Military X was, we we had a window with military X about that, about like that. Mm. And we struck and it was like a, I think it was like a Sunday or something. And he was like, oh, maybe I'll meet, maybe I won't. and Maybe I'll meet Wednesday. And I looked at my buddy and Marco and I said, Marco, we're going right now. Let's carry on this conversation we're having with him in the car while we're driving four hours because he ain't waiting until Wednesday. I guarantee you by Wednesday, he's getting a call from the military base. Like we're going now and we went now we jumped to the car and went. We didn't even know where we were meeting when we were driving up the road to go get him. But we didn't know if he was going to pull the carpet out from under us, but we went for it. And boy, did it pay off. Oh, yeah.
1: And your friend Jamie, who said that he's worried about you, has he seen your hair? That's all I have to say. There's no <laughs> reason to worry. There's nothing to worry about here. This is absurd. <laughs> that I, I question his judgment. Debs, go ahead for my friend.
3: Uh, This is an exciting moment for me because now I can present to James Fox a question from another leading documentarian who gives us some of the best information on UFOs in the world. Red Panda Koala. Red Panda Koala asked. Yes, very, very excellent. Um, Well, I'll read the whole thing. It says, cheers, everyone. I'd be curious to know what James sources have heard about upcoming the upcoming UAP reports and havana
0: syndrome oh well the havana isn't the havana syndrome just that weird device that was used probably by the russians or something or the or the cubans of that was going to interfering with these uh government officials hearing or something i i don't know i thought uh, it was
1: related to spice rum but i i probably am way probably off on spice that. Rum. there we go okay
0: yeah no um all I got was a phone call from a guy, an uh, insider, and I, I gave him a sneak peek of the film uh, a few months back, and he said, boy, you have no idea how good your timing is on this. I said, elaborate. What do you mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. He was like, sit, sit tight. Sit tight. Yeah. So that's what I know. Well, wow. I don't have much more than that to offer. But, uh, but I'm told that, uh, yeah, that – uh, the 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 crash retrieval the the material the the bodies apparently is going to be I uh, I would imagine is going to be a topic that uh, that is addressed in the near future, yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd love to have some validation. I feel like I'm like hanging out here, kind of solo, getting torn to, torn to pieces in the mainstream. Yeah. You know, I'm ready for some. I need backup, guys. Come on, yeah. We, we Do you, are you have the
2: backup. I told you show t shirt ready to wear when you yep. that's the that's what no, we I need. Think just...
0: I think have the phenomenon. <laughs> <Woo>! That's
1: great.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I want you to know, James, that the background Nathan can confirm the background like to my Twitter since we started the show has been the phenomenon, and it's not because you just you're coming on this week, it has been that because it's my Woodstock. Oh, awesome, <laughs> yes, it is, and since the day. I, I changed over to the genre Nathan and I, he came up with a logo and everything that you, that you're looking at, he came up with, including the name. Uh, I, the phenomenon was the background, uh, when I, when I started that for, for, uh, for, for, uh, my personal Twitter, which is
0: called all beings. Um, oh, well, Mark Parrish, my, one of my co-producers on that, on that project, we were bouncing ideas back and forth on titles and, and, We'd even, I'd even at one point looked at the memo from Nathan Twining in 1947, where he calls it, they refer to it as the phenomenon. So I was familiar with the term for, for a long time. And he goes, what about the phenomenon? I was like, duh, it's been staring <laughs> us in the face all this time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. <clears throat> before How I get, nobody else else thought about that in the past, you know, before. It's just perfect.
1: It, it's brilliant. And before we get to my next question for you, um, we invited on someone from reality television she's uh, named Kate Casey she has this show called Reality Life with Kate Casey she's from uh, Newport Beach she was uh, in my old show before I came to UFO she's one of the most amazing guests I've ever had and she said, give me one documentary to watch and and if I and I'll come on your show give me because I said we're no, talk to UFOs with you Kate and I said the phenomenon. That's the one you need to watch. And that and then she did come on and and to be honest, to go back to our previous discussion about five minutes ago, she was not very happy with us trying to change her worldview to that 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 she needed to consider that there was something that was outside of her purview. Um I love I have high regard for Kate Casey, but she was not ready for us to try to push that on her. Well, did she watch the phenomenon? She did. She did. She watched it. And I think she was she was she picked apart a couple of things that was uncharacteristic of her. But I believe she did so because in essence, had- uh, we, we were trying to change her worldview. Uh-huh. And that is that's what we as a group and a community are up against. We're trying to say to people, this is not in your life right now. But it needs to be because it's not avoidable. It's not something that you can wish away. It's here, okay? And right, Nathan. A lot of people are just not comfortable with that.
2: Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's a huge uh, psychological component to this, and uh, that is actually going to kind of tie into the question I had for you, James. And that's that you know we hear pretty frequently that those who've encountered had these kinds of close encounters have had. Uh, experiences that fall outside the the norm of just seeing a craft just seeing a being they they often recount uh receiving information uh, you know like i know roger learman mentioned that i think one of the doctors had received some kind of a download or even the the young women that saw the creature have, have mentioned that they had some dreams later on a- after the incident and I wonder, you know, in your encounters and, and interviews, I mean, how often does this come up that that someone has this, you know, hard to compartmentalize experience. You know, it just doesn't fit in a normal box of I saw something; it was shaped like this. It's this odd knowledge that they that clearly they wrestle with, and it impacts their life.
0: I was interviewing in the late '90s, early 2000s, a witness. I think his name is Trig Johnson. He was an, a commercial airline pilot who was a witness to the UFO that he almost described as scraping along the city blocks uh, late at night, March 13th, uh, 1997 in Phoenix, Arizona.
2: Mm.
0: We did the interview. We did it out in this balcony outside overlooking where he'd seen this thing. And uh, we we finished the interview and he described in vivid detail about this craft and he said it was so huge. He said, This is the way he said, it was almost dragging down the street it was so low. Wow. And, and then he goes, uh, ah, there's something else. Ah, forget about it like this. Hmm. I said, No, no, trick. <laughs> no, cry. no, 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 forget I said anything. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, you can tell he's a very pragmatic nuts and bolts kind of guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I said, Drake, please. Like, come on. I'm investigating this phenomenon. I, please. You know, oh, you're not going to fucking. Ah, the son of a bitch. It said something to me. Wow. And he was so reluctant to share that aspect of it that he just knew he was going to sound like a wacko. Mm. And he knew it. And He didn't because I believed him. I'd heard that many times. And uh, we, we, we're not here to harm you or something like this. Hmm. We're not here to harm you. And I've heard that so many times, so many times. And, and look, I hear that with people not even having contact with the Bean, just looking at a craft. Right. And, of course, the Bean, um, this, this, very different than than the Rua case in 1996 in uh, aerial School, mm-hmm. Rua, Zimbabwe. Uh, because under that, uh, in, in that case, according to the witnesses, the Beans were in control of the situation for the most part. Right. Um, and in this case, in, two, in sorry, 1994, um, sorry, I got the dates wrong. 94 was Rua, 96 was Virginia. And in the 96 case in Virginia, the Beans were cowering, they were afraid, they were vulnerable, they were weak and feeble, um, non-threatening, and they communicated telepathically according to the witnesses that, uh, that they wanted help.
1: They want to help. They
0: wanted help. They they wanted
1: help. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow.
0: I I got the feeling that they knew they were being hunted down hmm. by the military. Those two beings. Yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm
1: actually, my next question is about that. uh, And so I'm going to, this is an opportune time to ask you. Uh, Let me see. Basically, it's regarding Liliani and and Katya. And, and you, you ask them, you asked them if the creature communicated with them telepathically. Why did you ask that question?
0: Because as a researcher, I want to be put in that, even though you know that that moment of contact was so brief, but time slows down. You have a car accident. You have an encounter with a strange being, whatever, time slows down. And a lot can take place in a short period of time. And so I remember standing in the field with Katya and Valkyria and her sister, uh, uh, Liliani, and saying, during that moment, w- when you made eye contact with this being, during that moment of contact, and that's where thank I thank you. Thank you. Let's get the branding in there, James. Let's go, There's- man. During that moment of contact, and in, in, in the field, I said to myself, well, I like that title. I'll think about that one later." But I said, "During that moment of contact, put me there as an audience. I want to be there. What did you feel? <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yes, I so know. Slow it down for me, and just tell me, describing every millisecond of what it was like, because I want to be there. I want to know. You know. And that's I, what she said. She's like, you know, I'm scared." Uh, I need you know help me, <clears throat> that kind of thing. It was feeble. It was non-threatening. I mean, the only thing it did was, it was probably the other side, but it was slouched down with its hands between its its legs, slouched down quite slow by this cinder block wall that had some graffiti on it. Mm-hmm. And when the girls yelped, like, ah, you know, <clears throat> it just went oh and my looked at the eyes. And that's when the two sisters, Valkyria, who's 14, Liliani, who's 16, ran out of there. <clears throat> they left Katya, Alone. who was frozen in her tracks. And Katya was 21 years old. And Katya is about 8 to 10 feet away from this creature at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in broad daylight, locking eyes on this thing for several moments. And Liliani, who's 16, who's grabbing her younger sister, Valkyria, gets about a hundred feet away or so. She realizes, shit, I left, we left Katya. So she runs back and she grabs Katya and pulls her out of there too. And, uh, and that's when, you know, I said to Katya, like, you know, what did you feel? And that's what she said. I got the feeling this thing was, yeah, it, it, it I'm scared. I'm, you know, I need help. Yeah. Most of it? Time- I have no idea. What are right. the additional could you imagine? You remember the movie E.T.? I do.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, what would have happened if they'd yeah. st- st- stuck around, you know, stood around a little, you know, stuck around and like, you right. know, brought this thing in? I-
2: Took it back home. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> put in the closet.
0: Mm-hmm. I- Who the heck knows, man? That's just a crazy story. Mm.
1: Most of the time when I ask UFO experiences to put me there, they're unable to, at least in my mind, for you, they may be able to, and for Nathan and Deb, they may be able to put you there so you can feel it. I'm unable to feel what they feel much as I want to. When I hear Bigfoot first-person encounters that happen in the forest, I do feel like I'm able to connect with that. And that could be just because of the nature of dealing with someone who's aboard a craft in front of a group of beings um, maybe they're controlling your thoughts, maybe they're making you forget things, and the person is not able to convey to you accurately how they felt, whereas uh, mm-hmm. people who interact with Bigfoot, it's uh, a lot more, what's the word I'm looking for, Nathan? It's a lot more visceral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah. anyway, just just FYI. I want to ask you a tangential question so, That before I pass it
0: on. Let me yes, say sir. one, one yes, more sir. thing, if I may, while we're on that topic. When... We were interviewing military X, and I'll remind your audience: military X is the gentleman who allegedly drove this being around. He started off; he went from uh, uh, Humanitas Hospital in downtown Virginia to as a military base, as a military for the for the night, and then from as a military base to a place called Espe X in Campinas, and that's where the Americans came in on the twenty second of January. <clears throat> but but during the time when he went, when he walked in to the hospital, uh, Humanitas Hospital, to, uh, on a mission to retrieve this creature, he walked in the room and he saw this thing, part of it on the table in a little box. <clears throat> and I said, okay, hold on, slow it down here. I want you to put me in that hospital room Slow everything down. What were the, ex- I always close my eyes when I do this. Cause I really focus. I want, I want to know what the expressions were on the other people's faces. What were other people doing? <clears throat> what was the mood like? What was the atmosphere like? Put me in that room. I always ask that because I want to be there, you know, and boy, was that an intense moment for me. Uh, and it translates well in the film, but you can, he's just talking about like everyone was just, everyone was freaked out, frightened and, the level of unknown and not what to do and <clears throat> yeah, man, he's pretty crazy. And, you know, and, and, and you, you think like, you know, us as researchers, as people that have a a, 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 heavy interest in this, in this topic, what a blessing it would be to have that level of confirmation to be able to see, you know, a creature, an alien, an ET, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he opened up about, the effect that it had on his life and it's pretty much like almost ruined his life Mm -hmm. i wish he'd never really had this experience that that burden having to shoulder that burden for 26 years and possibly longer you know not telling your wife your family members i mean he had a cousin when we showed up to interview him that was there who was present first i didn't know who he was Got a big young guy and it you know seemed a little intimidating but then he was just turned out to be his cousin And uh, his cousin didn't even know, never knew that he'd had this experience. He's like, I didn't tell hardly anyone. So anyway, that was a little tangent I just had to take.
1: Wow. Uh, No, along this same line, uh, because while we're here, we might as well get to it. You talked about the smell. You talked about uh, the skin color. I think you even suggested in the film that the, the, the intense heat and humidity, because in January, it's the summertime in Brazil. Um, do you what do you attribute that to? Do you attribute that that the that this being was not acclimatized and that would not be its normal state of being that maybe that 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 smell of the ammonia, et cetera, had something to do with what uh, it was experiencing biologically?
0: You know, I honestly didn't know uh, and I and I didn't even attempt to, to know. And then I had a government insider watch this, and he said to me that, "Do you know when skunks are frightened, and they put out that scent as a way of de- a deterrent, a way of protection?" He said that they had felt that that was something similar with with these with these beans. Now, whether I believe that or not, I simply don't know. Um, but these beans, according to all the witnesses, every single witness had very oily skin almost like you can imagine like if you had an organ like a liver or a kidney and you made the whole skin out of that kind of texture and and wetness you know spindly arms spindly legs weak brown big red eyes and these like three nobody could quite describe what they were like ridges Mm -hmm. they were not horns but they were like ridges three of them what one, there was one here one here and then one sort of here like a bicycle helmet kind of a thing yeah kidding. slits for mouths and barely anything for a nose anyway this again this is just what the what the yep. witness described I wasn't there I didn't see it so I don't know yeah
1: someday you might uh you may see it you may see those photos. debs
3: Yeah, so I wanted to get to something that a lot of people are interested in and that we have a question from the audience about. So when I read Lear's book about this crash in Brazil, he mentioned the footage in his book. The footage has been um, foremost on a lot of people's minds lately. And we have a question from the audience um, from Mike I'm going to say this wrong. I'm so sorry. Aqua Viva, I believe. Um, if James had, let's say the footage of the Virginia alien or any other great footage, how would he want to release it? A Twitter post going to the media first, how calculated would it be? In other words, how are we going to get it from you, James? How are we going to see it when it comes out? So, um, I can neither confirm nor
0: deny. No I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um we uh have been zeroing in on photographic evidence that we that we've been made aware of over the last uh, uh couple of years uh we've gotten uh extremely close i'm trying to reveal as much as i can without jeopardizing our contacts um we have a very large uh cash offer uh, reward for it. Um, we've had a response from one person uh, saying it's too dangerous. Uh, we, we've had a, a kind of a not at this moment, not at this time from someone else, but we have some a new lead. Uh, none of these people came to us. We found them um and we found them because the people that we interviewed saw the footage so we know and there was just no reason for these people to lie we 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 tracked them down um i had been in touch with some high level uh uh publications uh editors uh, just in the last couple of days and they're like You need to, uh, if you do secure this footage, you need to talk with us about strategizing on how to release it. So I promised them that, that we would do that and how to go about doing that. you know, it's, 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 it's an ongoing developing story. Uh, there are new people that were reluctant to participate in the past that have direct access that are now on board. And so I'm feeling quite optimistic that something's going to come out of it. Um, but I'm holding my breath. I'm, I kind of am holding my breath and just like, you know, if there's any, if, if, if any of you out there think that there's no, there's anyone that wants it more than me, then please uh, reconsider that.
1: I just want to say Deb wants it more than you. I'm just,
0: kidding. Um, I, just
3: <laughs> I, I have to say that with, with something like this, it's just so great to see the validation was already there because Lear saw it or not saw it, but heard about it back then. You know, so it's like so nice that it's like the parallel is there. <laughs> so. And and James, well, just because I've talked because, I've just talked because
1: we're, we're friends now, I just want to let you know, cash offers notwithstanding, I want you to let these people know in Brazil that the Lou Malnati's pizza, the deep dish pies from from Chicago, you can airship those in dry ice to Brazil, and if that could just get us over the goal line,
3: <laughs>
2: whatever it takes.
0: Yes.
1: Right. I mean, whatever it takes, wouldn't you like a Lumel Nadi's pizza, Nathan? Come on, man. I mean, it sounds
2: delicious. Yeah.
0: You you guys can imagine the the eyewitnesses, how how scared they were to come forward. Now, imagine an eyewitness with physical evidence because that's the holy grail. Right. Obviously, look, there are going to be people out there that say, you know, no matter what it is, no matter what piece of evidence it is, whether it's photographic or videotape or film or whatever. I'm just not going to believe it. it's it was it was clearly done in some kind of uh special effects house or in you know I I get that now our number one objective would be for someone to not anonymously in the Brazilian military to come forward with this evidence and their name and their face on it and all the background credentials yada 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 that would be great the government coming out with it that'd be great Do I expect that to happen? Probably not. Could it happen? Maybe, you know, if the Brazilians come out with it, that's going to reveal the Americans involved with with it. Maybe the Americans don't, you know what I mean? Like who who Mm -hmm. knows? Or maybe, you know, that when it flew from allegedly, when it flew from Campinas out to the United States, I'm sure there were cameras on board that flight, you know, was it alive still? Was it dead? Uh, I'm curious about that. You know, did,
1: did, was it alive when military X saw it?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, in the operating room. Right, I was thinking of. I was thinking of. I was thinking of the military police officer Marco Terizi who captured it with his bare hands. It uh, was obviously definitely alive. Then it didn't put up much of a fight. Apparently, uh, was quite feeble, and he got that scratch. I think right right here on his shoulder, and he got an infection. And within a few weeks, he was in the emergency room and. A doctor threw the kitchen sink at him. He was 23 years old, perfectly young, healthy guy, and his immune system just completely failed and he died. Hmm. He said he'd never seen anything like it in 25 years prior or 26 years after.
2: Yeah, incredible.
1: Is really, it's, really, it's really disturbing. What Deb is talking about in the chat here, we were talking about what piece. Of, if you could have a piece of footage that you're aware of, would it be the Gordo Cooper footage? Uh, Deb says, would it be the footage from Holloman Air Force Base where apparently it landed on the uh, end of runway? Would it be
0: Roswell footage? What
1: what, what would that Holy Grail footage be? or well, would it be? Now,
0: footage?" Now it would be the, the, I'd like the Virginia footage, but, but honestly, I, I was investigating Socorro, New Mexico case in 64. I wasn't investigating it in 64, the 64 case in Socorro, New Mexico with officer Lonnie Zamora, And just a stone's throw from there, that's a close encounter of the third kind. And that's a case that turned, that caused Dr. Jalen Heinek to do do a 180. Um, And so just a stone's throw from there, I came across some articles from a woman named Coral Lorenzen, Coral Coral Lorenzen. Uh, I think it was APRO. And uh, Ray Stanford had them in his archive. And I was reading these quite compelling accounts of a landing at Holloman and I thought well as unbelievable as that sounds I'm I believe it, uh, a landing happened it's the Socorro which is right nearby right mm-hmm. stones you know as the crow flies uh why not and then for them then I started hearing about you know footage of 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 the landing that took that was recorded at Holloman mm-hmm. and then I found that documentary uh UFOs, Past, Present, or Future by Alan Sandler and, and Bob Emanager. I met with both of them, one of which gave me a thorough and exhausted, uh, exhaustive uh, interview on camera. That was Emanager. I interviewed Colonel Coleman, who was in charge at the time during production of that film in the early 70s. And then I went to the house of Alan Sandler, and I saw archival interview of Paul Charvel, who was the archive guy, I think, at the Air Force Base at, at the time. Uh, not Holman, but he he processed all the film footage that came to different Air Force Base. I think it was in Norton in California. But in any case, Interesting. Hmm. he saw the film footage. He processed it. And he showed it to Alan Sandler. And I said, and Alan suddenly comes out with this after we've been in touch for months. And I was driving my car. And as I do, I said, excuse me, you what? He's like, oh, yeah, I was showing that footage. You hold on a second. What? I, hold the car over to the side of the road. I said, OK, hold on a second. Alan, you're telling me that you were shown the footage of a landing at Holloman Air Force Base. Yes, I was. And I said, all right. And I closed my eyes as I do. And I said, you tell me. And he said, well, he said, uh, and he he didn't know what it was. He was like, could have been like, a, like one of our own. He was like, this is what I saw. I don't think it was ET, but I went out, you know. He said that this film footage showed three disc-shaped craft coming on the distance and they were uh, escorted by military jets. And then two kind of peeled away and then one came down and it wobbled down onto the tarmac of the base. He said, just like a A leaf leaf almost kind of falling. And it landed and he said, you know, just like in the sci-fi movies, it was like three pods landing pods came out and he said this door like this seamless door like there wasn't a seam just opened up and dropped down this is what alan sandler told me amazing uh uh, yeah it was alan sandler yeah sorry the other producer of the of the show and he said they got these 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 beans i think they said they had vertical slits and they had tight-fitting suits on and some big thing that looked like maybe it was a translator they, he didn't know he thought it was like maybe a staged event from the from Hollywood or something and it wow. was one of our own flying saucers but he saw that footage and he said that Paul Shartle showed him that footage and um wow. yeah that's yeah. That crazy it crazy oh. yeah absolutely so what happened was Paul Shartle had gotten a call from from Colonel William T Coleman who I interviewed and William T Coleman had brought, you know, uh, Alan Sandler and and, and Bob Ebenegger to, to his attention. He said, look, these two guys are making a film, you know, cooperate with them, show around the base, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, I'll show them, this, you know, and, he, and I guess Bob wasn't there that day, Bob Ebenegger, who has since deceased, unfortunately, and um, uh, showed him the footage. And so the next day, I guess word got out that he'd shown that footage and they were both debriefed and then Alan didn't mention a word about it. For over 40 years 45 years mm. but alan did tell bob evenegger because i was there when he did it yeah i did sh- i did see that footage yeah and, and bob evenegger felt that it was a, it was a vt origin and and alan didn't really know and he thought that maybe it was a stage hollywood event he, he just didn't know
1: this is the what we thirst for and nothing else will quench our, our thirst nathan
2: yeah, well, I wanted uh, my last question um, and James, thank you so much again for joining us this evening. Um, we've heard some stories from other filmmakers. So Bryce Sable and uh, also we interviewed TJ Allard, who is an um, executive producer on The skim Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, they have both indicated to uh, the community that at times during production, they were They had a meeting from someone that seemed to have knowledge of their production of their uh, project that just didn't they could understand how they had the knowledge that they had. They were approached by someone. And I was just curious in in your experience and and the projects that you have worked on. Have you ever been approached by anyone that has had some you know, odd knowledge about what you're working on or, you know, has influenced the direction that you may have taken on a, on a project, anything strange out of the ordinary like that?
0: No, I've, I've been spooked, uh, three times. And it could have been my imagination. I don't think so. I have a pretty good little inner voice, but I don't, maybe it could, maybe it was, uh, one time when I was uh, trying to get a guy named Ricky Sorrels on camera, who was a witness to the, Uh, 2008, late 2008, Stephenville, Texas case. And he was a deer hunter that was underneath what he described as an object so large that he couldn't see the edge in any direction. You could have landed an airplane on it. And he held up his rifle and he looked through the scope and he contemplated pulling the trigger and seeing that that bullet would bounce off the side of this thing. He said, you know, I determined right there in the forest alone that maybe this wouldn't be such a good idea. So he didn't pull the trigger. Wow. But in any case, he was telling me about the story and he said, I'm not going on camera, I'm not participating, don't get my name on anything. The military were flying their helicopters over his house. He would run out in you know, the middle of the night, he's got a couple of daughters, a couple of kids, and uh, he'd run out and he said in his undershorts and his shotgun and he'd point the thing in the air for the helicopter, it was lighting him up like daylight. Mm-hmm. And I think either he called the base or they called him and uh, stop flying your helicopters over my house. Uh, my property. And they said, it's not your property. It's our airspace. We'll do what the hell we like. And I suggest you stop talking about what you saw. So this is what he was telling me not on camera. He was like, I'm not going on camera. I will not go on camera. But if you want to know what's going on, this, is what's going on. And while I was out there talking with him, uh like a FedEx truck or like one of these delivery trucks pulled in and he lived off the beaten path on a ranch. Like, come on, man, you don't just accidentally drive down this guy's driveway. Mm. We both looked at each other and the whole film crew looked at was like, well, that's odd, you know. And the guy kind of pulls in, looks at us, turns around, and pulls out again. And um, and that night in our hotel room, the sound guy, the camera guy, production assistant, myself, all were like, "I feel really spooked here. I don't know. We need to, you know. I don't know. Somebody's watching. You know. It's just. It was just spooky. We wow. Just it, right? So that was one. Mm-hmm. Two. I got an email when I was doing the National Press Club event with Leslie Kane. Uh, when I flew, we flew in 14 military and government officials from seven countries, we made that film, I knew what I saw. And I got an email that said, stop doing what you're doing. We'll put you to Z and head like the big Z and then a smaller Z's and smaller. Eh, it was a little spooky, but whatever. Mm-hmm. It could have been just some random freak. And then the other one was when Eric Lopes threatened to shoot us in the face. Uh, the witness that was apparently driving the car during the second capture with Marco Terezi, um, that was a little spooky because I'd never been threatened to be shot in the face before on camera. And then paralleling that the people that we had just met with or about to meet with, uh, we're getting phone calls from as a military base and creepy phone calls. Like, Hey, how you doing? So, and so you still living out at uh, this address. Mm. Good, good, good. He has the family. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. We're happy to hear that. Um, yeah, there's an American uh, documentary film crew, apparently. Um, yeah, they reach out to you at all? Have you have you talked to them? or? Yeah, okay, well, listen, well, I hope you're doing well. <laughs> and I uh, hope your family, wish your family well. And um, and like that. Mm. So they called us so fucking spooked. So I'm thinking, okay, so now the military base is calling the people that I either just met with or that I was about to meet with the next day, spooking the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Spooking, you know, they've got Eric Lopes threatening to shoot us. He clearly doesn't want to talk. And I was like, you know what? It's time to get the hell out of here. I just felt like spooked. Now, I wouldn't call that necessarily paranoia. I was legitimately spooked. But did anybody threaten me directly? Did I see any unmarked vehicles following me around? No, I didn't. Hmm. That was it. Yeah, That's that's the one
1: instance I think I might have done better than James because Lopez might have said, I feel bad for the guys have no hair. I'm not Whoa. going to shoot him. The other yeah. guy's a better looking. He's okay. I shooted that guy.
0: Oh, uh, I thought he it was just, <laughs> say hello to my little friend.
2: <laughs> Open right, up on Tim,
1: you. Yep. That's your last question, my friend.
0: <laughs> say hello to my little friend.
1: <laughs> what a great Al Pacino. Come on, man. You're If, if not, we're going to have you doing lines from Heat. We're going to have you doing lines from <laughs> Scent of a Woman. I mean, you're going to get right into a hole here. So go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Tim.
3: Okay, so I'm going to play a little bit of a cynic here. Since you are very familiar with the older footage and have been doing this for a while, and you know about what happens. to people like Keyhole and some of the people that have been uh, doing this for some time, do you ever get the feeling that history is uh, repeating itself or do you think we're, we've finally turned the page and because of the legislation and the reports that are coming out and the fact that people are being more receptive and the mainstream media is paying attention, do you think we finally turned a page? Uh, I said earlier- would you
1: sing turn the page from Bob Seeger while you're answering this question
0: please yeah <laughs>
3: okay.
0: I know I I, I I said it earlier in the show. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. So they've admitted that the phenomenon is real. They have pretty much ruled out. They didn't entirely rule out, but pretty much ruled out Russia or China. They have this little bracket other, right? And now they're talking a little bit about, you know, they were last year in late 2020, they were talking about um, recovered debris and potential bodies, which I was just shocked to hear in mainstream, I think it was in the New Yorker, the New York Times, uh, Fox News. Um, So uh, I think we have turned a page and um, I think it's time now, you know, I kind of wanted to like relax a little bit and enjoy the fruits of my little success with the phenomenon but then i realized it's time to turn the heat up and, and keep the pressure on so i dove right back in again and um and I, now i'm already diving back in I, I just before this call i was on the call with new uh producers that i'm going to start my next film and and probably start shooting as early as the end of next month and i'm exhausted
2: Woo!
1: Exha- don't stop <laughs> i love I'm hearing Exhausted. That, man. <laughs> You know, we'll we'll get to this in our goodbyes in our goodbyes, but uh, which Cavi, you know, we always do our goodbyes individually, and uh, before we we finish off the show. But uh, you're very very inspiring what you're doing. I'm not I'm not saying that. I mean, like you're really really a regular guy, and you sort of remind me of T.J. Allert in a way because. He's from Buffalo. He still lives in Buffalo, even though he is executive producer of a television program and he comes on here, just like a regular guy like yourself. And, and uh, you guys are, are pushing it. You specifically are really, really pushing it in the face of, of, of possible potential scorn and scrutiny and you're, you're driving forward. And, And that, that really inspires the community in my opinion. But I do actually have a, uh, one more question for you. Um,
0: Thank you for that, by the way. It's, I appreciate it. Sometimes it feels kind of lonely out here.
1: No, we're with you, and we are. <laughs> you said you're you're fi- you're not alone. We're we're with you. People in the community always hear me say that, and it's because uh, I do believe that. You know, we are there. There's some people who don't really want to be part of the community who are always looking to tear people down. But there's a super group of positive people here and uh, no matter what anybody's going through uh, most most notably yourself we are with you um my question to you james my last question would be that if you could as a as a filmmaker and somebody who who is able to tell this story through a little bit of artwork mixed with a whole lot of actual events and truth um if you could script your own ufo experience first person encounter um what would that entail how close would that contact be if if james fox could create an and and make his own encounter happen what would that
0: look like to us you know funny enough i'm 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 of all the cases i'm most jealous of and somebody asked me the other night if you could had a time capsule and you can go back in time to anywhere I said April twenty fourth, five o'clock p.m., nineteen sixty four, Socorro, New Mexico. I would just love to see that object land and those beans get out and dig around whatever they were doing when Lonnie Zamora was there. Wouldn't that be cool if I could just hide behind a bush and watch that happen?
2: (laughs) Yes. Jump out! Hey, you got (laughs) got the toolkit? We got. (laughs) Call roadside assistance. Iron rolling, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you don't want to get close. You don't want to get up close and personal, like in a craft.
0: If you knew you'd come home. Oh, if I knew I'd come home. Well, how would I know that?
1: You wouldn't, but you know, you're, you know, if you, okay, if you, you know, it, you know what? You bring up a good point because we really don't know how many missing persons are attributed to the phenomenon. And that could be, uh, we've talked about that fairly recently in the show that that could be a very, very closely guarded secret
0: and part of why they don't want to broach this topic. I mean, if it was happening, boy, that's, that's kind of, I mean, look, maybe somebody would willingly and voluntarily go, let's get the hell out of here. I'm ready to leave earth. You know? Um, Absolutely. When I go, if I, you know, I have an eight year old son now. So I think about him first. That's uh, uh, another reason why I got a little spooked when I was in Brazil. I'm not really concerned about my own life, but I have a kid now. So I have to think about him. Um, but uh, obviously, I think that'd be fascinating. I think about Travis Walton and his experience. And again, when he told me, I was like, I was like, put me there, like when you woke up and I closed my eyes at the table, you know. And I sat there for very every word cre- recreating the exact experience and walking down the hallway. And he said he could feel his ar- his shoulders rubbing up against this polished aluminum hallway that was all smooth with no seams and no rivets. Wow. And then going into that room and seeing the one chair with the screen and the control arms like, wow, you know, wow. so amazing. But then how do you process something like that when you come home? How do you share that story with anybody else? Everyone's going to think you're nuts. Like, you know the effect that would have on you for the rest of your life. I mean, that level of validation, the uh, confirmation, I mean, is it a more of a burden than anything else? You have to kind of ask yourself that question for the most part, most people that I know that have had these incredible encounters, they'd kind of wish they hadn't. So if I had an encounter in the perfect, in a perfect world, probably. And if I were to go up in, in, in a craft, I wouldn't mind doing it in front of like uh, you know, um macy's day parade or something and down you know somewhere where there's just tens of thousands of witnesses and cameras and then when i get back i can really then i'll be believed and i can really describe and it could be accepted once and for all that's my final answer (laughs)
1: that is that's awesome That, that that's i i love the way that you evolved to that answer because that's the way to do it where nobody can say anything to you when you return because it was all on camera yeah uh my goodness deb uh, all right, we gotta, we're going to say our cabbie goodbyes.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for including experiencer accounts in your work because that is so crucial right now. They've been um, lacking that validation for some time, and you're really just doing incredible work. We're so impressed with everything that you're putting out. It seems to just get better and better. Please come back when you have the next one. We can't wait to talk to you more. You're awesome. And we have your back keep it going thank
0: you for that
2: yeah James the uh, the artists in the world really have an amazing capacity to give voice to the human experience and when we're talking about an experience that isn't even quite human uh, it's so important for artists to do the work that they do and your art is is moving people and uh, not just an emotional, Way where we're connecting with the story but it's moving people who've had experiences who've been close to this issue and i don't think we yet know the impact that this is going to have uh, the downstream effect and so again as deb said we are cheering you on we're so grateful that you came to speak with us and really look forward to what you're going to do in the future so thank you
0: thanks you guys
1: as a continuation of what nathan said Someone used the word heroism in a, in a tweet and attributed my name to it. And I, I, when I think about heroism, I think about a lot of different, uh, because I'm from a military background. I don't think about people who are like me. I think about people who are, uh, my friends that are music teachers that are out creating the next Keith Richards, the next John Bonham, you know, the next Stevie Nicks. Uh, we have, uh, this show actually has some friends like that that do that, that go out and, uh, and, and do that and artists like yourself that are doing this. So I, I really admire people that are uh, filmmakers and musicians and, and artists and school teachers and people like that. So you are a hero to this community because we don't, um, you know, obviously we think we're a lot larger than we are. But the, the only way that we're going to get larger than we are is by people like you doing what you're doing, because each time you make a film, the audience gets broader and broader and broader. So, so that is a a a form of inspirational heroism in my mind. So thank you, uh, James, so much for for coming on and uh, and sharing some of your story. Uh, I'm really sure that we can next time do kind of like what you did with concrete where we can find a little bit about more about what in what was a formative experiences in your life to bring you to this place so i hope you'll come back and join us
0: thank you guys so much and my last question to you is how does how does my hair look it looks
1: (laughs) (laughs) it looks phenomenal
0: (laughs) fabulous i really (laughs) i was in the salon for hours (laughs) slaved over yeah no, no, a little more. No, hang on. Take a little it. Side. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: love it. There is no better way to end this show than that. So for, for Deb, for Nathan, for James Fox, this is DJ and calling all beings. Make sure you go and watch A Moment of Contact. It's on Amazon. I believe it's $14.99. Julie has put it in our YouTube chat. You can click on that. It'll
0: take you right to Amazon where you can uh, buy the film. Don't forget to rate it. Please. Pretty pleased with sugar on top. It's tremendously helpful. And in a few days, it'll be up for rent. so It'll be even cheaper for everybody. Thank you for your support, you guys. Thank you. Fantastic.
1: One love uh, for, for, as I said, for Debs, for Nathan, for James Fox's DJ saying, peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're always wondering what's up around the bend.